The Gospel reading is from Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 12. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Thanks be to God. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts and the meditations of our hearts and minds be ever acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. The great uh, Methodist preacher uh, Leslie Weatherhead, um, in a book he wrote in 1943 called In Quest of a Kingdom, um, he was writing the book just after the city temple that he had sort of made his own uh, had been bombed. And as a result, he was having to preach down the road at the Anglican Church in High Holborn. And he starts the book going back to his, his church, uh, City Temple, to the ruins. And amongst the rubble, and then looking out and seeing the vast levels of destruction across London, he had an overwhelming sense that the world was actively rejecting God. That all he could see was the clear evidence of sin, of our fallenness and of our infinite need for God. And he writes this. In this poor, broken world, the teaching of Jesus is the only known philosophy of life which has never been seriously tried. Some have called it impracticable. But 2,000 years of practicable methods have brought us to hell. Some have called it irrelevant. 
But the spirit of humankind is too sublime to accept as truth that the only relevant methods of getting on with one another demand that every 25 years we should sacrifice the youth of the nations and ask from our scientists that they bend all of their energies to find new ways of killing others. The teaching of Jesus is the only known philosophy of life which has never been seriously tried. Why? Is it that it's too much for us as individuals? Is it that actually as a church, can can the entire church seriously say it has honorably and honestly throughout its life lived up to the teachings of Jesus Christ? Can our country It's not that God has rejected us, it is that we have rejected God. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his letters and papers from prison, at a point where he was fully aware of the implications of the Holocaust, he's got the sound of allied bombs all around him in his prison. And he writes this, God has been edged out of our world and onto the cross. It is there that he can be of use. That God has been edged out of our world, that we have deliberately pushed God to the margins and on to the cross. God has not rejected us, God has not abandoned us, but by golly have we so often rejected God and the ways of God and too often we have found the philosophy of Jesus Christ to be just something a bit too much for each of us. This is another of those years of of memorials, the 75th anniversary of D-Day, 75th anniversary of the Valkyrie plot to kill the Nazi hierarchy, 75th anniversary of Arnhem and the Battle of, of the Bulge. Closer to home here in Kent, the 75th anniversary of the start of all of the flying bombs, and also the 75th anniversary of Kohima with that famous epitaph. For your tomorrows we gave our todays. But we don't just have to think 75 years back to how we have too often abandoned God as a world. We don't have to consult the history books. Look at the rampant betrayal of the Kurdish people by Donald Trump. The stories of the horrors of war that our Eritrean friends could only too easily tell us all about. Every Every Sunday in in my prayers of intercession, I I pray for those situations of Israel and Palestine, of, of Iraq and Syria and Afghanistan. I pray for peace for those areas. And to be honest with you, at times I get a bit fed up with it. This constant praying, and I think, you know, should I be praying for God to intervene? Or rather, should I actually be praying that human beings actually learn what it is to be human at some point? Because how else are these situations seriously going to resolve themselves? How do we stop our descent into barbarism, anarchy and violence? Too often we see God as the manager of our suffering 
when actually I think we need to, to flip everything over and see God as the victim of suffering, as God as the victim of the way that we organize our nations, the way we organize our lives. Ailey Wiesel, who was a survivor of the Holocaust, in his remarkable book, um, an excerpt from, from Night, he, he says this. It's a, a story of one of the situations that he witnessed in the concentration camp. And he says this. One day we saw three gallows rearing up in the assembly place. Three black crows. Roll call. SS all around us. Machine guns trained the traditional ceremony. The SS seemed more preoccupied, more disturbed than usual. To hang a young boy in front of thousands of spectators was no light matter. Total silence throughout the camp. Then the march past began. The two adults were no longer alive. Their tongues hung swollen, blue-tinged. But the third rope was still moving, being so light. The child was still alive. For more than half an hour he stayed there, struggling between life and death, dying in slow agony under our eyes. And behind me, I heard a man asking, Where is God now? And I heard a voice within me answer him, Where is he? Here he is. He is hanging here on this gallows. Where is God now? hanging on the cross as we have edged him out of our world and onto it. So we gather here today to remember. We gather to remember the far too many victims of war. Not just those who went and have never come back, but but the loved ones who are still grieving, whose lives were torn apart by loss and sorrow. The people who have spend their lifetime trying to deal with with limbs blown off, the mental suffering that they have been through. We remember them. But we also remember that we have not learnt their lessons. We haven't learnt the lessons from a war to end all wars. We remember that too often we have rejected the ways of God just as surely as too often the way we organize ourselves we have rejected sanity and decency. I remember talking with my grandmother who was a nurse in London during the Blitz and there were things that she just still could never talk about 50 years on the horror of the things that she witnessed as a young woman. Talk to almost any veteran and they will talk of the awfulness of war and there are those things that just still cannot be spoken of. So those who say, why does God not intervene? Why does God not prevent us from our insanity? Those words from Micah that I read at the start are clear. God has been consistently clear with all of us. A desire for peace. That all of God's children to flourish. Not just our side. Not just those who are our friends. 
but all of God's children. God is there as the victim of our thirst for hatred and our lust for violence. God is the refugee fleeing from conflict. God is the grieving child. God is the bride who will never see her husband again. God is the mother who receives telegrams telling her that another of her sons has died for king and country. The problem with remembrance is that we can end up viewing it as just something that happens on the Sunday closest to the 11th of November. And then we can just forget it the rest of the year and carry on as we always have been. We've honoured them on one day. We don't have to strive for peace, therefore, on the other 364 days of the year. Such a sentiment is false. Let us turn again to the ways of God. Let us turn again to the ways of peace, of forgiveness and reconciliation. Let us try and form our society as a place where there is true freedom and life for all people. Let us remember so that we can start to give ourselves the tools we need to build a true peace where we bind up the hurting, we offer sanctuary for the refugee, a space of healing for those who are hurting, a care for the broken-hearted. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. If you look at that list, it seems that Jesus is saying that those who are blessed are those whom actually are the victims of our world, the ones who never quite seem to make it. We don't hear too often of the meek, do we, if we're really honest. But we follow a God who has been edged out of our world and onto the cross, and it is there and only there that he really offers healing to us. The God we follow is a God who is on the side of the lost causes. And for those who feel that making peace is hard, it is. Just as keeping the peace is hard. And by peacemaking and peacekeeping, I'm not referring just to an absence of conflict, but the clear, full presence of righteousness and justice as well. Blessed are the peacemakers and blessed are the peacekeepers, because they've got the hardest job going. The Christian faith, intellectually, it's not difficult. It really isn't. A child can get it. Love God, love your neighbor, love yourself. And here's the difficult one, love your enemy. And Jesus offers them to us as commandments. They are non-negotiable commandments. You want to follow me, you've got to follow them. How do we build a world where actually there might be that process of reconciliation of true love for our enemy, no matter how horrendous it all is? This is not easy. This is something we are going to have to continue to wrestle with. A commandment from God to love, to transcend our fear and hatred. 
So this Remembrance Day, let us use the memory of those who have gone to inspire us again to be a better church, to build a better nation, and for each of us to be worthy of the freedom that we have. Let us turn again to God for the faith, the hope, and the strength that we need to not be downhearted, but to truly strive for freedom and peace. When we do that, we truly honour those who have gone before, those who for their tomorrows, they gave their todays. Amen. Amen.